Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. We have a very special episode in store for you guys today. We have a special guest. I want to introduce our Patreon producer, Mr. Ben Checkness, to the show. Ben, welcome to you. Hello. Thank you. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. And of course, I'm Illegal86, and we, as usual, have Nerd Bomber with us. Hello, hello. And Tectic as well. Hello, how's it going? Say hello to the folks at home. Uh, I'm doing good. It's very exciting. We have we have a room of four, a virtual room of four, that is, instead of a virtual room of three. And we have a slate of topics to get right down to business with, as usual. We're going to be talking a little bit about one of Sony's exciting releases coming up this summer, Ghost of Tsushima, which is a PlayStation 4 exclusive so we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about The Last of Us again, which we talked about it actually last week on our episode, but that was before the news had broken of this uh, HBO show that's coming soon. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, we would be remiss if we did not delve a little bit into the continued effect of the coronavirus outbreak on daily life and in general pop culture life, you know, relating to the, the, the delay of the Bond movie and uh, the canceling of, of South by Southwest, which just happened today. So we'll get into that a little bit as well. But let's start at the start with Ghost of Tsushima. So a trailer was released for this uh, on March 5th, which was an official story trailer, and it eventually wound up teasing the release date as June 26th of this year, which I think is sooner than certain than a lot of people expected. And this was a dense trailer. This this was a three-minute long experience, really showed you a lot uh, in terms of what the game is going to be like, not just in terms of the story, which is, you know, a feudal Japan experience, a uh, very stealth-based samurai experience. But yeah, it, it delved a lot into what the gameplay is going to look like. And it seemed like there was a lot of emphasis on the stealth element. So I guess we can just go around the room first. Thoughts on this trailer, starting, of course, with our with our guest. Yeah, it looks pretty impressive. I, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm usually a lover of story, so I wanted to see... You know, I saw just a taste of what the story is like. I wish I would have seen more, actually more gameplay, but I'm, I'm pretty excited sure. about it. Yeah, and that, that's that's fair. I mean, it is it is a story trailer. I'm sure we will get an actual full gameplay trailer down the line. What little we saw, if, if I were to draw a comparison, what jumped out to me, and I'm not even sure if, if the new Tomb Raider is really known particularly as a stealth-based game, but for whatever reason, that was the comparison that jumped out to me was... Tomb Raider is the kind of game where if you want to play stealthy, you can, and it's very, very enjoyable. And I kind of got this sense here as well. Nerd Bomber, what what was your take on this? So to me, it kind of seemed like Dishonored gameplay, but set in feudal Japan, which I think is really Also neat. a good comparison. Yeah. Um. So personally, I really love the setting of feudal Japan. I really like the whole samurai idea for a video game i feel like we haven't had enough of those i mean it seems like it should be such an easy picking setting but we don't get a lot of games in that setting and one of the other games that was kind of similar was sekiro but that game is a dark soulsy type game and i'm just really not into that i don't really like struggling i'm more i i want to be immersed in the story but i don't want to be beating my head against the wall to try to progress in the story so I'm, i've never really been in the dark souls type genre and so this kind of seems like it'll scratch that itch that I've been having for a ninja-style game, but it'll be that more story-driven experience that I'm really looking for. And it does have the stealth aspect, which coming off the heels of A Plague Tale Innocence, I have a newfound interest in stealth games. So it's not like my favorite style, and I usually end up going a little bit more blood and stabby-stabby than I do stealth in these type of games. But... I'm willing to give it more of a shot and I'm very excited. I think this right. whole, this story seemed really interesting to me. 
I, I got really engaged in the story and I feel like all of the best games that I've played in the last few years have had a really strong storyline. So I'm super pumped. So for me, I got more of an Assassin's Creed meets Batman vibe for this game simply because it didn't appear that the stealth option was going to be an optional. And and the reason why I say that is because the first scene where he's kind of interacting with his father, he says, you have to look a man in the eyes as you take him down. That's the honorable way. And so it seems that his whole shtick is taking people down without them even seeing you, aka stealthy. And so by not doing things that way, I think it's going to cause you to have to redo missions because why else would they show that scene? Right. They're pressing that storyline is what you're saying. Correct. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, do you think they're going to do something where you have the option? I mean, do you think it's going to be a story where it's it can you can either do it the honorable way or you can do it the... You know, D- the, dishonorable way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and this is, and Nerdbomber, you made the comparison to Dishonored, which. Right. I mean, I would I, love I, if I, they did something like that. Yeah. And I, I think to me, I, have, I haven't played Dishonored 2, but I played Dishonored 1. And in a lot of ways, for me, that's the gold standard of, of stealth games because you have that choice, because you can decide, okay, I want, like you said, I want chaos. I want blood and guts. I want to do this my way and it's going to be messy. Or you can decide I want to be surgical and and the game, there, there's an in-game effect associated with that. And there's, there's even an in-story effect associated with that. And I would love for this game to, to have something like that. But then that you, you changes know, the narrative. Well, exactly. But, 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 but with the Dishonored, the narrative, the overarching storyline more or less stayed the same. It was like subtle things in the world that adapted yeah. to how you played the game, which I thought was like the coolest part of that entire experience. Like as I stopped being stealthy, because I think I started playing Dishonored, trying to be stealthy. And then like halfway through, I was like, okay, I'm just going to kill everybody. And right. like watching <laughs> the world far. around me actually adapt to that. And my choices that I was making was super, super cool. Right. And well, and there's a lot of so so first of all, I would not put it past with 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 the story development that we're getting in games now. I mean, a, I think a game that I brought up last week was Red Dead Redemption 2 where the story is 60 hours long. So let's say you have, you know, let's let's make it binary for a second. Let's say you have an honorable path, which is the path of the main character's father. You look a man in the eye and you kill him. And then you also have the dishonorable dishonorable path, which again, dishonored, dishonorable, you know, similar. But you can make two 30 hour stories that's within the realm of the gaming industry right now to make two, two branching stories and they're still very full and very rich. So it might not even be, if, if there is this choice mechanic in this game, it might not even be as subtle as the differences that Dishonored has. It might, it might include broader story strokes. I would, I think it would be cool if that were the case. It's also a lot to ask of a game, but the other place where this comes in and where it comes in with Dishonored is I'm really curious to see what the skill tree is like in this game. And if there is going to be a mechanic like Dishonored's or even like, I think Assassin's Creed is probably pretty similar. I haven't played that game in a long time, but you can choose to upgrade certain aspects of, of what you can do. So like in Dishonored, there are certain skill trees and certain powers that you can get that are extremely advantageous to stealth. And then there are other powers you can get that are just like, I'm going to kill everyone. So another place that, that, that choice, that thematic choice can bleed into the gameplay is in the skill tree. Now, one thing I want to bring up is and i i think nerd bomber you mentioned that we don't see a lot of games from this time period so i have a i have a thing in games and i think assassin's creed struggled from this as well for me sword play to me in games 
I have a very hard time with it because there's something that is so repetitive about when you fire a gun, you fire it one way, essentially. And so all these war games that you get with Call of Duty, Halo, anything, you're firing a gun over and over again, but you don't expect it to be any different. When you're swinging a sword, to me, if I want full immersion into the story and into the world that I'm in, it needs to be more organic than typically what you get is four or five animated slashes, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. But I I'm feel curious like- to see what this game can do with that is my, is my main point. And that's what has scared me off from games like this. And maybe that's why we don't see as many games like this. That's kind of a reach, but that's my main point. I feel like the fact that they introduce that stealth element will really help to shake things up because it won't be straight sword play. You'll probably be able to tackle a situation if I'm reading the game from this trailer and the little, 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 little bit of gameplay that we saw correctly. It seems like you'll be able to choose how you approach things. And I feel like a lot of stealth games that I've played recently, like the actual combat mechanics are pretty much the same thing over and over. And really the fun is in having how you approach the situation. Right. Now, now, Ben, you mentioned last time you came on the show, which I know was, was a few months ago, you were talking about Fallen Order. And I know Star Wars is kind of different, but in terms of sword play, that's kind of on the bleeding edge of that. So did you yeah. see, do you know, first of all, do you understand what I'm talking about, what my mental block is with sword play? And did you experience anything like that in Fallen Order? I, d- I did not. I mean, I, I enjoyed the, the, the lightsaber combat, the way they, they designed it, because it felt like it had enough uh, variety to where it didn't feel like it was repetitive. It may have, I mean, it may have been, but I mean, just being able to go in, you know, like seamlessly go between types of moves and maybe some of it had to do with the force powers that you would put in there too, but it felt very fluid, the combat. So how how did you feel about it? Well, so I actually haven't played it, but, 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 but this is, Oh, it's it's good news to me and and that's kind of a, the point i'm trying to make is that i have this mental block but i also for that reason have been staying away from sword play games for a while and i'm sure that since i played whatever i think the last assassin's creed i played was like assassin's creed 2 which was in like 2011 or something so i'm sure it has come a long long way and you see games like dark souls and i think even skyrim like that do this and and, and they do the sword play and they do it clearly in a way that's very effective and draws people in and i doubt that those people just don't care at all about the repetitive nature that we were getting in games of the older days but i asked about fallen order because you know that's one of the more recent games that come that has come out that i would that i knew you played first of all and and that i i think that might show up but it sounds like it doesn't so i would hope it wouldn't show up in ghost of tsushima here's here's the other thing too about ghost of tsushima that it's been in development for quite a while i mean i i think it's now pushing you know at least a couple of years so they've got to they have to have worked on i mean that's you know anytime you're talking about a samurai game right that's the main part of it is the yeah, sword play exactly so it's they, they had to have put tons of effort and time into making that feel authentic well, I, I also trust the studio, too. So Sucker Punch is known for some pretty great games. Like, they started with Sly Cooper, which I know is a completely different genre and type of game, but was one of my favorite games on the PlayStation 2. And then Agreed. they moved into Infamous, which was also a really great franchise, and it felt super fresh and a lot of fun. So I feel like they have a good track record for making sure that their games feel good in terms of, like, the gameplay. So 
I kind of have some faith in Sucker Punch. I know this is a little bit of a deviation from their typical games, but I think it'll be okay. I have a question just unrelated to this because I feel like we can really deeply dive into a rabbit hole with this topic, but it's all speculation. Mm -hmm. So I want to get back to the nitty gritty of what we saw in the trailer. Did you guys have anything in particular that was your absolute favorite that got you excited? So me personally, I got excited about the paper walls. Oh, I see. Yeah, you stole mine. The, so the the paper walls is a indication of player versus environment where you can use those. It's not only shelter, but to pull people through, to slip your sword through the wall and really have fun with environmental inv- manipulation as well as stealth attacks. So that for me was right. really exciting. And I'm hoping is a window into a bunch of other kind of stealth attacks that you can use where you can use the utilize the environment i don't think we'll see anything in skyrim where we can put baskets on people's heads to help out with stealth (laughs) attacks but uh we all know that that wasn't intended in that game anyway so now okay so first of all i you know i know this isn't interesting but my answer is the same as yours the paper wall stabbing through the paper wall is definitely the coolest moment for me my question though as a follow-on is did we see it? Did did we see ninja stars in this trailer and I missed it? Are we going to see ninja stars? Do samurai even use ninja stars? These are all. I was gonna say that's a ninja. Questions. They are not yeah, samurais. A, but it's a ninja thing. But the, the term ninja has been used already in this conversation. So like, I wonder if the if the line there is going to be blurred at all because well, if it's so the, stealthy and ninjas are known for that, you know. The beauty about it is the samurai have quite a vast array of weaponry. It's not just swords. There are there are blunt axes. There are um, hammers, and it just goes on and on. It's a lot of hand weapons. There, I think there are smoke grenades in there as well. Mm. So those could also add to the arsenal and really kind of give your own character its own skill set per se. And that's another thing that I'm hoping for is that. Yes, maybe, maybe there might be like story trees and different story arcs, but also what can we personalize in our character beyond skill tree? What weapons are we going to become our own specialties at, etc.? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's worth noting, you mentioned the destructible environments, you mentioned the possibility for customization, and Ben mentioned the development time on this game. Like, it's fair to say expectations are high, and, and this trailer didn't really change that. If anything, this trailer made it made that more so. So... Well, so with that in mind, we can keep going with your question to everyone, which is, what was your favorite moment in the trailer? Ben, did anything stick out to you? You know what? I, I seemed to... The, the the scenery looked amazing. Yeah. Um, just just the... Even the, the... Just the backgrounds and everything. So just being immersed was... Yeah, that was really impressive. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see something with cherry blossoms. Like, when you think oh, of yeah, stealth... Yeah. Like, and then the cherry blossoms, like the movement of those things, you know, you could kind of see things blowing around. I don't know if that would be possible with with now generation, but I mean, just something with the cherry blossoms, not just scenery wise, but as as far as like game dynamic wise, where you could see the movement of the blossoms if people are moving as opposed to like, if you're stealthy, you don't. Yeah, well, I think I I could go so far as to say that not making i mean cherry blossoms are this iconic thing in japanese culture and you know even as a scenery i I would imagine they're going to show up as scenery that would you know that's almost a given to me but not using them for anything else i feel like would be a missed opportunity so 
I couldn't even see like footsteps and like cherry blossoms that have fallen to the ground. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, so Nerd Bomber, anything to add to what we've already said? Things that really stuck out to you? I would just say the possibility for different types of combat. As we already mentioned, the stealth, like there's going to be possibility for one-on-one combat, but they also showed like the possibility for a giant battle scene where you could be going up against hundreds of thousands of Mongols. I don't even know how many would invade at one time but i just whenever i think of that period of time in history for japan and like all of the samurai movies it always seems like there's those giant clashes between the japanese Mm -hmm. and the mongols and i'm wondering if we'll get to experience that or if that will be something like we're coming into the story after the fact but i think that would be really cool because i mean the the art of swordsmanship I feel like for a samurai is super fluid and in my head I'm just picturing like being surrounded by a circle of attackers and being able to have really fluid almost like what you would see in the Spider-Man and Batman games where just incredible sword play from enemy to enemy so we didn't see that gameplay but I'm excited about the possibility from what I saw in the trailer that brings me to another point another when they were showing some of that combat they showed him and his father back to back Do you think there might be instances of co-op gameplay in this as well? I feel like co-op would be hard because it would be difficult to pick and choose when people would be able to come in since a lot of it is stealth based. But I think it would be really cool to have a companion character show up from time to time. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's impossible. I do think that it would be extremely cool. And and you raised an interesting point in Bomber, which is, I wonder how the combat how close it will be to a, a more combo based thing. Like you mentioned Spider-Man and Batman. And I really liked those games and, and those kind of flew in the face of what I said earlier in that they were extremely repetitive, but the combo mechanic was what kept me wired in to, okay, how, 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 how high can I get my combo and you get your combo to a certain height. It activates certain power ups and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily fit with the stealth thing. But again, if you're, if you're choosing one or the other, it would be interesting to see how fleshed out that is as well. So yeah, Ghost of, Tsushima, Ghost of Tsushima comes out June 26, 2020, produced by Sucker Punch. And I believe it's a PlayStation 4 exclusive. So uh, listeners out there, if you're PlayStation 4 folks, give it a look-see. Give that trailer a look-see. Also, there's like real actors in it. I, I meant to mention that. If you know the guy who plays Attila the Hun in Night at the Museum, he plays the dad. So... Yeah, check that out. Uh, we're going to move on now, but we're going to stay on the video game track. And we're going to talk about something that listeners should all know by now is very near and dear to my heart, The Last of Us. So it just broke again on, on March 5th that there's a series in the works at, at HBO. And it involves both Neil Druckmann, who was the original director of The Last of Us and who wrote the script for The Last of Us. And also, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Craig, it's either Craig Mazin or Craig Mazin. And he, most notably and most recently, uh, created Chernobyl, which was a miniseries on HBO that I think earned a lot of praise, and rightfully so. I watched it myself. I was a big fan of it. And it has the right kind of dark, the grittiness that you would want The Last of Us to have. Now, of course, I don't need to give you my opinion on this. I am essentially overjoyed, both that it's happening and that uh, Neil Druckmann is involved. I think the, the, the possibilities for this are sky high. So, so for swing it over first to Ben. Ben, did you play The Last of Us? Uh, no, I did not. No, I did not. But I am going to play it before I play two. <laughs> yeah, uh, The Last of Us is, and especially now, you can get it uh, very cheap. I think recently it was it was one of the PlayStation Plus games of the month, and it's like it's worth your time. And you you mentioned being very drawn in by story, and 
The Last of Us is the game that comes to mind first when I think of games that essentially put story above all else. And that raises, that certainly raises uh, the, the, the game's capabilities to induce fear and to induce excitement and just to, to induce a lot of emotion. And I think that that's going to translate very well to a TV environment. I have high hopes for this, even though I don't know if we've ever seen a TV adaptation of a video game. This is the one that I would most want to see. And it's the one that I think has the most potential. So do you, do you think, do you think that too many people are, are like now trying to translate games into movies? It's, is this the new property the new that Marvel. people are trying to reach? Yeah, hey, basically. Boy, you know what? Well, Tactic, you might. Do you have a, a thought on that? I don't. Well, for, for, before I get in, so before I get into that, I just want to thank HBO for listening to our podcast and taking our our advice and making. Oh yeah, yeah show. Right. So oh, yeah, it was definitely all our our doing here. <laughs> so thank that's you, right, H- yeah. HBO. We're looking for a shout out. That's all we're asking for. We don't need any monetization, monetization or anything like that. That's right. We talked about making it a movie on on Wednesday's episode and on Thursday. <laughs> They said, "Okay, Craig, Neil, you heard the, you heard these people. Get on it." So thank and, you, uh, HBO. Secondly, I think I can't really be worried or be upset about it because there's so much fantastic content in video games. Where to me, it was really only a matter of time. As far right. as topics and unique ideas, there's not a lot left in the in this world. We we. Society has covered just about anything that the mind can think of, and it's it's really just slight tweaks of another of another person's ideas is what we're coming out with these days. So, the next natural step was to hell. Let's start pulling from video games because that is a fantastic cinematic adventure. It's already been proven by the masses on that story because games are also critically acclaimed, and so it's low risk, great content. And it's an easy cash cow. Why wouldn't they do it? Yeah, I mean, I well, would say this is just a natural progression because, as Tactic mentioned, movies are more or less based on something else at this point. There's very few original scripts. They usually have some basis in something else. And before, it was always books. So now it's just, I feel like this is the natural progression because video games are kind of that marriage between books and movies in my mind because they kind of take a, a longer experience which i would say is a book and merging it with that visual experience of a movie or television show and so i think now it's just something natural to draw upon i think if they do it well like i think if they mess up stories i think on on twitter there was a conversation about what would happen if they screwed up a gear story and people would probably crucify whoever screwed up and tried to change the story of gears of war if they made a movie or a tv show out of it so i think that it's a little bit more restricting because i feel like video games especially if you're adapting larger known ones that are super beloved i think if you start to tweak the storyline people might get upset but i think as as long as you do a good job adapting it to the screen i don't think it's that big of an issue and even if people get upset they get over it doom's got a huge following and they Watched that movie. That movie wasn't that bad. The Rock was in it. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't that bad. You had to go in assuming it would be stupid, and it was, and it was great. I mean, there's the thing about The Last of Us, and and the thing about this situation. I mean, for it to be on HBO, first of all, for it to be a show is an ideal situation for it. There is a very rich world that The Last of Us 
if anything, it's a crime that we've only, we've only gotten one game out of the world of The Last of Us because there's a lot of stories that could be told in that world. I mean, Walking Dead even comes to mind. That's a very simple example and one that I'll admit has kind of played itself out, but The Last of Us has a similar sort of hierarchy to it. Now, the thing about The Last of Us 2, not not the sequel, I mean, the, the, the other thing about The Last of Us is that there it's a very character driven experience if you've if you've played it you know what i'm talking about where yes it is a zombie game you are killing zombies you are stealthily trying to avoid zombies you are also fighting various resistance fighters and people who you know aren't zombies but who have taken advantage of a of a zombie torn world essentially but at the center of it all is a very very character driven relationship between joel and ellie and it's very very soaked in emotion especially towards the end of the game and it's really that's where the center of it is so i think in terms of places to start with turning a video game into a television show you couldn't be picking a better a better place for it and a better game to do it and for that reason if they screw this up and and you were talking about gears and granted i don't think last of us has as large a following as gears but it has a very very vociferous following and people care very deeply about the ip and if they screw it up given how well poised this all is they are going to be in trouble now it gives me a lot of hope that neil Druckmann is involved he cares very deeply about it and that is probably most uh evidenced by the fact that last of us 2 has taken so long because it uses the same characters and he wanted so badly to get it right i think too another point and and we've kind of touched on it a little bit the fact that we mentioned doom and we're talking about the last of us is video game adaptations have better opportunities for success when it's a series as opposed to a movie And the reason why is because video games are these 30-hour plus adventures, and you just can't get that emotional bond that you you get in a video game into a movie adaptation. It's just not long enough. Well, and... and And they're serial adapt... They're serial in nature, too, right? Like, a lot of my favorite games are, by definition, episodic. You're playing missions, and you beat them. And, And granted... That's probably not how this show is going to be structured. It's probably not going to be a rewrite of the game. In fact, I'm not even sure if I want it to be a rewrite of the game. Do I want it to be similar? Yes. But I don't know. I have a lot of I have a lot of faith in this. So yeah. do you want El- do you want Ellie and Joel to be in it? Or do you want them to be like secondary characters? Because right now the video game itself focuses on those characters. Yes. I, I want them. I mean, again, the game, and again, this is the difference between a game like Doom and a game like The Last of Us. Doom, you don't even know the guy's name. His name is Doom Guy. That's literally what they call him. In this game, in The Last of Us, the characters are the most important part. And what the characters do in the circumstances they're in, yes, it is a function of the circumstances, and yes, there's killing and all that, but it's about the relationship that develops between the two characters. And if they make it about other characters, then... I'm not even sure you should call it The Last of Us anymore. So for me, I want Joel and Ellie. I I would like, I mean, if we're talking about casting, I would really, Hugh Jackman is 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 the goal. Is and Ellen Page, Probably right? not. For Ellie? Ellen Page is, so I've seen that. Ellen Page is too old. And, then, and, and people have also mentioned, you know, oh, just go and get Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson to do it. If you don't know what Ashley Johnson looks like, she is like a 35-year-old woman who looks nothing like Ellie. Uh, Troy Baker might bear passing resemblance to Joel. I actually don't know, but well, it would obviously be a trilogy, and it would and it would go through her growing up anyway. So why not do Ellen Page at some point? Obviously, she couldn't do the first one, but second, maybe third. What I've seen 
as far as like dream castings go is if you saw logan uh you had hugh jackman of course as logan and then daphne keen played i don't even know what the character's name in the, is in the movie but the girl that he helps and i could definitely see that i i, I mean I can get behind that absolutely they worked well together she exactly. kind of came into her own in that movie just like she would in this um well what would you call it evolving or ad- adapting to society she yeah so well and, and the other thing too is that she's a known quantity for hbo because she was involved in his his dark materials i i don't know it's too soon to talk about all that stuff i'm su- like i'm surprised that it's it's moving very fast in that craig mazin has already like changed his twitter bio to like creator of the last of us and you know we already have a mini video showing the firefly logo so we know the fireflies are going to be involved which is a huge part of the story it's very very hard not to be schoolgirl level excited about this if you're me and 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 also like another thing that remains to be seen is that the last of us 2 comes out may 29th and that's going to be a thing so i i don't i i want to know when each decision happened i want to know how long the show has been in development i want to know if it's in development as a function of the sequel or if it's going to be independent of that well i think there was originally a movie planned back like a couple years ago or closer to when the game originally came out but it it just like churned and nothing ever happened so i think like some adaptation in some form was planned i think now this is the first time though i'm hearing that it pivoted to a tv show which like you said is a much better fit in my opinion it's a much better fit and and if there's any network that can do it it's i mean hbo is the home of game of thrones and chernobyl was great and now we have things like the outsider and they're capable of making very very good shows and very very gritty shows that you just can't show on on basic cable and and the last of us might require that treatment i mean there's parts of the last of us that are that are decidedly disturbing right so i you know i'm excited for it. i think again i think the most single most important element of the entire setup is that neil Druckmann is involved um and also they had better darn well get gustavo santalaya to do the soundtrack I, they should just use the same soundtrack that's already in the game, honestly. If they, it's already perfect. Um, very minimalistic classical guitar. If you haven't heard it before, but um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Are, are is this something that you're interested in watching, whether or not you have HBO? Let's forget about that concern. But would you watch it? I guess it's the main question. Yes, I would watch it, and it's not even a second thought. Like I said, they're picking a perfect game to do this. Uh, cinematic adaptation and i'm 100 percent on board i agree i'll watch it ben i will watch it as well yes so there you go uh a, a full boat so hbo uh well, well yeah once again you're welcome this this topic feels like it was mostly an excuse to wax poetic about how important this game is to me and how important this adaptation is to me now but i'm okay and with that how influential we are that's uh, yeah absolutely let's not gloss over that um, so right now what we're going to do is, uh, before our next topic, we are going to take a short break to shout out some of our friends. But before we do, uh, I want to shout out in person this time, our fantastic Patreon producer, Mr. Ben Shackness, who is with us today. And that is as a result of his undying support. Uh, so we thank him for that. Um, if you want to be like Ben, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast for more of the details on how to support us. Now you've heard this a million times. I'll say it again. Anyways, we have three levels. Um, the top level of support is the night level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog. And you would be joining Ben on the committee to, uh, select, uh, 
the topic of our game segment each week, which right now, as far as I understand it, is a one-man committee manned by Ben. Uh, so if you want to get in on that process, uh, I'm sure he'd, he'd love company. Uh, if you aren't cool enough to be a knight, uh, you can also be a squire, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog. And then, of course, there is the page level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment. So again, patreon.com slash online warriors podcast for more of the details. And I want to thank Ben again for being here with us today and for all of his support as we have continued on with this endeavor of ours. So let's take a short break now to uh, shout out those friends of ours. Hey, this is Ken M. Padawan J. Coach Duffy. From the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour podcast. Every week, the ODPH is talking sports, movies, TV, comics, and more. It's always a parlay of topics on each episode. You can find the ODPH on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever you find great podcasts, such as the one you're listening to right now. Don't forget to check out OchoDuroParleyHour.com, where you can find the links to all of the ODPH social media accounts, links to the bands whose music you hear each week on the show, hashtag 607 podcast info, and Parlay Points, our companion block section of the show. Thanks for listening to the ODPH. Now get back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Okay, welcome back uh, from that break. Uh, we're going to talk, we dive right into our last topic here, um, which is, of course, the ongoing coronavirus is it is it fair to call it a crisis at this point i don't want to get too alarmist i feel like every time we talk about coronavirus i'm worried that i'm gonna like make someone go like drink a bottle of lysol or something we don't want that we're, we're really trying to talk about how it's starting to affect affect life and particularly affect pop culture and, and things like south by southwest which we mentioned as of i think the 6th of march is was canceled uh, which is which is a big deal that's a big a big conference there's a lot going on there. So that was canceled. Um, another major thing that happened last week was that no time to die was actually postponed, um, from its original, uh, us release date of April 10th and moved to November 25th, which is actually the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Um, and, and it was specifically cited that that was, that was due to the coronavirus. Now with movies, you of course have to think about, uh, how movies do internationally and, and the Asian box office, I'm sure right now is not doing very well. Uh, well, I also read that the Sonic movie, which I think was slated to release sometime in the near future. I don't remember if it was this week or next week in China. They actually delayed that too, because it hadn't come out there yet. I mean, right. it makes sense if you're, if you're a production studio and you're thinking about a, I mean, if these public health things are coming out, people are starting to panic a little bit right or wrong people are like i went into sure. the grocery store and the place was cleaned out of like toilet paper and all of your cleaning supplies which was not great for someone like me who really needed those things like for my day-to-day but people don't be alarmed people, we still have toilet paper people yeah, are that's... starting to freak out and so i could imagine this gotta hurt box office attendance right like if especially like think about a place like seattle right now i'm sure nobody is going to the movies there so if you have a movie slated to open anytime in the near future, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because right or wrong, movies get judged based on their opening box office numbers. Right. So, so Ben, do you see this as, as the beginning of a trend? Do you, do you, do you think we'll see, start seeing more movies get pushed back as, I mean, especially as this crisis worsens, do you think this is the first of many or I don't know, what's your take on, on this? I think it depends on the filming locations, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't know where. Um, he, I've got to believe that they're just doing post-production kind of 
filming they wouldn't be you know they wouldn't they wouldn't be filming the main part of the movie since we have uh, a significant part of it like even in the trailer we've got a lot of really meaningful stuff so i don't well so i can't see i'm not sure if they're delaying it because of filming concerns or production concerns i think my understanding at least is that they're they're just delaying it again because they figure in april people aren't going to come to theaters because okay these are mass they i mean they're already saying right avoid mass gatherings and there's no mass gathering like an opening night at a movie theater um so i don't know am i reading that wrong guys Uh, that was my understanding of it but you may you actually raise an interesting point maybe it is a production related concern as well so i think it's more because of i don't think it's production related i think it's they want to make sure that their numbers are most as impactful as possible to maximize profit especially this is the last one with daniel craig right yeah so let me i have the actually have the statement in front of me so let me just read it mgm universal and bond producers michael g wilson and barbara broccoli which her, her name is barbara broccoli Great we've talked name. about this before it makes no sense to me announced today that after careful that consideration well, that was that was the cubby cubby broccoli was the was her father who originally if we want to talk about james bond i can i can do that later but oh but yeah, okay so cubby you, cub cubby broccoli was her father's name that's even weirder right I, yeah, <laughs> yeah and, it's an and even I th- better name i think her cousin was larry the cucumber right right <laughs> um and yeah bob the tomato and all that i was a veggie tales boy myself so let me okay let me start the statement over because now we digressed a little bit uh okay mgm universal and bond producers michael g wilson and barbara broccoli announced today that after careful consideration and thorough evaluation of the global theatrical marketplace the release of no time to die will be postponed until november 2020 the film will be released in the uk on november 12 2020 with worldwide release dates to follow including the u.s launch on november 25th 2020 so yeah so to me, that reads more like pe- we know people aren't going to come to movie theaters in April, which completely fair. Um, and that's what I'm wondering. Like, I'm already thinking to myself, what other movies are, what other big movies are scheduled to come out in the next few weeks or in April? Like, and a one that comes to mind for me right away is March 20th is A Quiet Place 2, which I think is a fairly large project. And I think it's expected to draw a large crowd. So, so I'm I'm curious if we're going to see more things like this happening in the coming days. Maybe not the scale of Bond, but you know, it might be the first of many. So I have a conspiracy theory as to why um, they're pushing it out, and and especially why movies don't want people to go to see them this week in particular. So I didn't set my fantasy movie league this week, and they're trying to help <laughs> me out. <laughs> okay. That could be, you know, they, they might be keeping their ear to the ground on that. But it could also be a thing, you actually made me think of a point just then, is that we have seen movies get pushed back um, for, how do I put this? Smaller Cultur- things? No, no, uh, cultural reasons. So, like, for example, there was a movie, uh, I can't think of the name of it. It was a gangster movie, and... It was supposed to come out right around the time of the Aurora shootings in Colorado. And there was a scene in the movie that depicted a shooting at a movie theater. And I believe in that case, they actually both delayed the movie and they wound up eventually taking that scene out of the movie. So I'm wondering, in the in the interest of conspiracy theories and trying to think about why exactly they would do this, is there some kind of viral concern to be dealt with in the Bond movie? that well, they think is going to be too timely. Well, the movie uh, Parasite's still in theaters. And, <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> you, you clearly didn't see Parasite. Um, nope. 
<laughs> it's a great movie. Um, this, this, this is this is kind of what I'm what I'm wondering. I still think it's probably more related to the practical concerns of we want our money and we're we're going to get more of it if we do this in November. But I have another I interesting thing to bring up too. So there is sure. also a bunch of conventions that are being canceled. I know a lot of people pulled out of PAX. A lot of people pulled out of G. DC Game Developers Conference before they eventually mm-hmm. delayed that. They're talking about potentially delaying E3. How do you think this is going to change the way that we get announcements of things? Like even like Comic Cons, I, I imagine those are going to be suspended. South by Southwest, you said. Like, are we going to start seeing a trend and a movement towards more digital, like Nintendo Direct type things instead of having all of these giant conferences? Do you think it's going to go more towards the way of like digital video announcements? I mean, massive um, amounts of people stream things already to watch all these conferences. So I don't think it's much of a hop, skip, and a jump to get there. And then the other side of things, think think of how many thousands of people got burned by these companies backing out of these cons. Yeah. I mean, they, they bought their yeah. tickets and they set up their, their hotel accommodations and everything months and months and months in advance, only to find out, say, their, their favorite booth isn't going to be there. I mean... Would you be gun shy to go again? Probably. I mean, uh, even uh, from uh, the perspective, though, that these companies—I mean—they spend millions of dollars to show up at all of these conventions. And do you think they'll end up finding that like it's cheaper at the end of all of this? Like, yeah, they probably lost money this year, but they'll get the message out the same way, and it'll be just as impactful going the video route. Because I mean, there is something to be said about the convention atmosphere. And I know Ben, you were yeah. you and, potentially yeah. like th- there's something nice about going to them. So it'll kind of be a shame if this one year kind of ruins it for the future. It's it's also about the community too. That's that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. like people getting together who are all like especially I'm I'm speaking of PAX specifically. Um, it's not just all the things that are there, like the video games that you get to play and try out and talk to you know go to go to panels. But it's the community. So I don't, I, I think something like PAX, which was built upon a community that enjoys this, you know, enjoys video games, isn't going to be impacted as much as like a trade show or like something, you know, like the Game Developers Conference, because that's about their business right. and how they run run that business. So, right. Um, and, and that's a good point is that, so I, I'm skeptical that it will have the lasting effect that that you guys are describing if only because i think what we see of even a conference like e3 which is really a trade show but like there is a a community aspect to it and there is something more to it besides what we as non-conference goers see i think and i think that is probably viewed by the people that go as very valuable And, and and you're probably right that there will be an element of gun shyness especially if it's going to depend a lot on how this outbreak trends but I'm skeptical that it will last more than this year. I, I mean, I certainly hope it doesn't. Also, worth noting is that that might just be, might be wishful thinking on my part. But um, what the points you made, Ben, about about packs are, are are very true in that I think a lot of people seek out the community of it and not just I'm going because this game was announced or I'm going because this booth will be there. Yeah, those are good reasons to go, and, and you will go see those things. But from what you told us about your experience, there's quite a bit more to it than that. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. I mean, I do. I think as far as movie releases go, those are all about money. So, I think to, to trace it back to the Bond thing, I do think this is the first of 
what will probably be multiple. Um, I hope I could not. see it Any- having like a long lasting impact. Say movies that are supposed to come out next year. Like if they're supposed to start filming in the next month or so, maybe those movies might have some production delays. Yeah. And that, because that, that's another good point. And yeah, th- th- uh, thank you, Ben, for bringing that up because wh- well, I don't think that's why it was done for bond. Like we talked again last week, we talked about uncharted is supposed to start shooting in like two weeks. And first of all, I don't know where they're, tra- they're starting shooting. If it's in Asia, we got a problem probably. Uh, so, so we, Italy could, too, right? Italy too. Exactly. And, and Italy especially is a pretty likely plate. Like we're describing places that, especially for a kind of an adventure movie, like uncharted, these are very reasonable places for this movie to want to film. So, you know, we could start seeing it have an effect on that. I mean, in, in terms of what's happening in China, like if you look at the nitrogen dioxide in the atmosphere, they've taken levels from four months ago and compared them to levels today. And it's extremely stark because industry is just shut down over there. And that probably extends to the movie industry should they want to get involved in productions over there. So it will be, it will be interesting to see how that continues. I, I don't know how that, I mean, when, when you're scouting for a location, um, for a right. movie, not that I, I ever do that, <laughs> you, you've got a list, right? It's not mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to be as bad as, um, as that, as far as, you know, if you've got a location, you want this location, you want to hold out for it. Well, you'll make that call, but there are plenty of other locations that you can, you can use. Right. And that's so a good point too. Not- yeah. It, it, and it, so what we might be seeing is changes to like, like we might see a movie come out a year from now or two years from now and I'll see it and I'll love it or I'll hate it, whatever. And I'll be reading the IMDb trivia and it'll say, Oh, the scene that was shot in Canada was originally supposed to be shot like in, I don't know, Hong Kong. And, and so, and it might, these might be changes that aren't super visible to us, but like you said, these scouts have lists that for all we know, Hong Kong's on the top of their list. And now they're thinking, well, I need to regroup. I mean, it is uh, pretty impressive what they're able to do. Like they can film in one location and make it look like you're halfway around the world. And that always blows my mind. Yeah. Like I understand that we have the powers of CGI technology to make movie, like you can film basically anything and make it look like something completely different, but it's still mind boggling to me just what technology can but, do sometimes. But there are, e- even with that considered, there are hubs too. Like, and I'm not even just talking about Hollywood. If this thing really gets ramped up in California, then of course there will be an effect there. But even uh, cities like Atlanta, where Atlanta is considered the Hollywood of the East Coast and movies are filmed, movies and television shows are filmed there all the time. So there's certain locations that if an outbreak happens, there's more likely to be an effect on uh, the entertainment industry. Now, the conventions thing, I, I also feel in the short term is only going to get worse. But like I said, I don't expect those to be super lasting effects. I certainly hope that they won't be. But like things like Sundance, which I don't know when Sundance happens actually, but unless it's like late summer, for all we know, there are already conversations happening uh, to that end. So uh, we'll be continuing to monitor this situation. Of course, I have a feeling this is not the last time we're going to talk about it on this show. But in the meantime, wash wash your hands, people. That's that's the one thing they're all saying is wash your hands for twenty you seconds. Know- 
It was crazy. I was reading some article. I don't remember what news outlet it was, but it was like something absurd, like 65% of people don't wash their hands after going to the bathroom in public or at home. And it was just like, oh, that's It was 65% of men. I saw the same headline. It was 65% of men and 31% of of women. So that's that's great. That's good stuff. Um, With those percentages, we don't need to take a pool, but one of us doesn't wash their hands at the very least. Exactly. Um, so think about that. Statistically speaking, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah but, but but I saw a list the other day of, it was like a list of songs where the choruses are 20 seconds long. Because someone was like, dang, you know, I was told that Happy Birthday is 20 seconds long. So I've been singing Happy Birthday every time I have to wash my hands. But that's get boring. Someone help me out. And they're like, here's all a list of songs that are all 20 seconds long in the chorus. And it was very interesting. Um, there are tactics, people, to... Uh, Get yourself to consistently wash your hands for 20 seconds and don't touch I'm your I'm excited face. to stand at the sink going, who let the dogs out? <laughs> I don't remember a bunch off the top of my head. I know staying alive is one of them. Um, so I don't know. I That's put very that relevant too. Classic office yeah. reference. <laughs> and also, yeah, also a CPR thing. So it's like the end all be all of like paramedic and like health related songs. So anyway, coronavirus. Yeah, way to go, BGS. Um, shout out to the BGS. I know they're listening. They're are they even still alive? Are any of them still alive? It doesn't matter. They're staying alive. Uh, so yeah, we're we're, we're going to move on now. But um, we'll be continuing to monitor the coronavirus situation. For right now, though, uh, we of course need to swing it over to our guest, and it's time for what are you up to Wednesday? And Ben, we are waiting with bated breath to know what you are up to. Take it away. All right. Well. Um, I have uh, binged, uh, watched, read the new new Hulu series called uh, High Fidelity, which is based on one of my favorite books, uh, High Fidelity by Nick Hornby, and uh, also one of my favorite movies, which I uh, I really thought they did an excellent job of capturing uh, what was in the movie or what was in the book in the movie, and. A lot of the, though the dialogue from the book is in the movie, and it was just a wonderful representation, I thought, of the book. Um, so worthwhile now, experience overall, you would say? The movie, yes. Um, and and oh, okay. here's they're they're gonna they're they're gonna be they're gonna be some spoilers here as far as the book, <laughs> and I don't feel so bad because yeah, exactly. Um, but I don't feel so bad. Those are those are much older. The series is definitely different, right? And so it won't spoil anything from the series. That's part of part of my criticism. And I <clears throat> let me just say, for what it's worth, I enjoyed the series as it was. I was expecting a lot, uh, probably because um, High Fidelity is one of my favorite books, um, and it's kind of from a slice of my life where a lot of the things that uh, the main character Rob was going through, I was going through and, and just kind of like just being not sure of where I'm going, my direction, things like that. And it's just kind of like self introspective kind of, kind of book, but it, it just didn't, it didn't. It wasn't unique enough that the television series, um, the Hulu series, to me, tried to borrow from the book in spots where I think it would be better served just 
creating the characters and then being unique and trying to tell the story from today's perspective uh, as opposed to what it seemed like they were doing, which was, you know, basically Frankenstein, a lot of the bits right. from from the book um, and put them in in episodic format, which, you know, it's like things are mixed around a bit. That's not the that's not the, the problem. The problem is, is like every time I heard something that was from the book, I, it just didn't feel organic. It didn't feel like you know, from, from those characters' voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I thought the movie did so well <laughs> was from the book, the, the actors in the, in, in the, in the, uh, in the movie, it was such a well-written book and, and the, uh, the movie followed the, the script, of, well, basically it followed the book so well that, you know, it felt like those characters were very well, they felt natural. And, and this, it's not the same. And, you know, it's not to say that the actors aren't good. Zoe, Zoe Kravitz is amazing. So, I, yeah, so and, I, I want to ask you about the gender bend specifically because, yeah. Now, I, I haven't seen the movie, I haven't read the book. I have read a Nick Hornby book. I like Nick Hornby. Um, but as Which book? Uh, all the, a long way down is what it was called. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, you clearly are a high fidelity expert. So, w- would would you say that the gender, the choice of gender bend, uh, was a good one, a bad one, a neutral one? You know, you, you're sound. It sounds like Zoe Kravitz was great. Um, uh-huh. But uh, you know, as far as thematically, did it have a huge effect on anything that really happened? Is kind of my main question. I, okay. So I don't. I don't think it. It. It did. Honestly. Um, I, I think it did, I I hope they didn't change the character's behavior based on her gender, but she doesn't behave in the same way Rob behaves and doesn't seem to be like Rob from the book, but I don't think she should. I don't think she has to be. Um, and so I think it was a great choice as far as her acting ability and her delivery of the lines and being seeming like, you know, like she was authentic as that character. I don't think that was the problem. The problem okay. was um, to me that it, it should have either been one or the other. Either you're going to be the book or you're going to be something new and unique. And it had pieces of the series, like there was an episode that focused entirely on one of the characters and um their sort of introspection as far as their love life and and that was that was great because it was not a a perspective that i'd heard before and i wasn't expecting to hear things from the book and and things like that so so Um, this is very interesting that you bring this up and specifically the it, it sounds like what you're describing is something that the ties to the source material it's taking the high fidelity name but the ties to it are a little bit on the loose side and I'm what I was going to talk about for what are you up to Wednesday is actually, I mentioned it before very briefly HBO's the outsider, which is based on a Stephen King book. And I, w- I want to say, first of all, that it's great. I'm really enjoying watching it, but in a lot of the episodes, it's an eight episode season. And in a lot of the episodes, the ties to the novel are paper thin. And it seems like they are choosing to choosing to follow the novel only at certain points, which is, okay but 
it's kind of like you said, where you, you need to pick one. You need to decide to be your own thing or you need to decide I'm going to adhere to the book because when you try to do both, there are, there are problems Narr- narratively, tonally. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. and this show that I'm talking about is they're going into a second season. Uh, they just announced and that's a problem because the, they're about to finish playing out the events of the book. So it's, it's kind of a problem in that I don't like the, without giving spoilers, I don't like what they're going to do to go, be able to go into more seasons. It feels like a money grab. It will kind of be less of a problem though, in that they won't have any more book material to randomly choose when to cling on to. So I, in, in, in a sense, I don't want to hijack your update. That was mine, but like, I totally understand what you're talking about is my point. Oh no. And, and uh, actually, that's that one of my points. Also, is is along those lines exactly. I, I'm I would be more excited to see what they come up with for uh, the next season because they've pretty much covered the content of the book. I mean, this right. the book itself is about a guy who his this guy Rob his journey into trying to analyze what went wrong in his relationship and kind of basically figuring out he was what went wrong in this relationship. It was him and it was what he does and it was, you know, and and there, this is not to say that the, the, the movie is perfect either. Um, There was a scene that was filmed for the movie that I absolutely love, which they devoted an entire episode to, um, mm. in the series, which was nice, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same. It was like, it was basically like, oh, well this, this thing would be a great episode, but it didn't have the same tone. It didn't have the same feeling. And what I was expecting was more like what was discovered in the book, right? which, you know, and they stretch it, it, and they stretch moments, right? That's a problem. Yeah, with with shows yeah. like this, is they stretch exactly. moments. Um, yeah. So that's okay. Well, that, that's that's good to know. It is interesting to think, you know, with free reign in upcoming seasons, you know, what will these shows become? You know, it 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 almost there's a sense of like they paid their dues, right? Which which that I mean that's kind of disparaging of the source material to say it like that, but maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe these showrunners are thinking, okay, we got the green light because we have the high fidelity name attached to it. And now we can do what we want to do, which is well, disappointing. Here, here's the other thing. Well, the other thing too is Nick Hornby is a producer of the show. So, okay. so he was consulted and he gave his blessing on it. And that's, that's, and, and that's great. I'm, I'm glad that he is involved somehow in the show. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so that gives it a little bit more um, credibility to me. I, I just think I'm just afraid I'm being overly critical of the series just because I enjoyed the book and the movie so much um, and what it meant. And I didn't get the same feeling from the television series, but I am really excited to see what they what they do going forward with the series. Um, I would say it's worth checking out, but as far as like, I don't know if you guys rank things, um, but you know, I, I would say it's definitely worth checking out. I give it two and a half thumbs up or whatever. Right on. Yeah. It's, this was, I'm happy we had this conversation because it is interesting to think about 
when shows and movies, because we're seeing it more and more, there's no more original IP anymore. There's everyone's claiming some IP for their own and they're, they're adapting it and they're doing certain things to it. And it's a double-edged sword because, you know, if you, if you take a, pro- a property like High Fidelity and you do something with it, yeah, you have the name recognition that someone who, someone like you who's read the book and watched the movie are going to be like, yeah, I'm in immediately. But then you also have a chance to earn their dissatisfaction if you don't live up to what that title holds for these people. And, and, I would and say for, that uh, happens to me more often than not. Anytime I read a book and then I go watch the movie adaptation, I am sorely disappointed. Exactly. It, it never it's, pans it's, out the way I want it to. It's a tightrope well, that you see, have to walk, is my point. Yeah. That 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 was the that was the thing about the book. The book takes takes place in the UK and there are a lot of things that you know, that like language things that are said that are different, that are changed. But for the movie, for the most part, all the key points were really like the dialogue. Um, Nick Hornby is such such an excellent he writer really when it comes to ri- writing authentic dialogue that sounds like it's coming from the character. I am horrible at that. Every time I try and write something from a character, it sounds like it's me talking. And, and it's like that to me is is a, a amazing ability in all of his books. I mean... Um, just really great at dialogue. And so the movie did a great job of translating that book, I thought, with the exception of the the exclusion of the one scene um, that I talked about that they did actually film, they just didn't put it in the movie. And I didn't know that until I got the DVD version of it. And I was like, oh, wow, this this would have given the character some, um, some level that he's not just a self-serving asshole right it's that he's you know and, and you know that was part of his you know part of the character but it's like other than that i thought the movie did a great job of taking from the source material because it was so well planned and laid out well the television series they've got to take some liberties because it's not the same time period it's exactly. not the same generation and so i understand where they're trying to make the changes but it's just like you're trying to use dialogue that was already used in a way that makes it feel forced and it you know so it's it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be because it's so well written so just to you know in the first place just to wrap it up what w- would you yeah. rate the show out of one to ten go two and a half thumbs up you already said yeah. he has uh, yeah, well he has, let's go Okay. <laughs> out of 10. <laughs> out of 10, I would say uh, I would call it uh, 7. Okay. All right. So Solid. recommendable. Yeah. And uh, Recommend. go go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Right on. It's on and then on once and then uh, and then once you check it out, uh, tell me what you think. Hit Ben up on the social meds. Oh yeah, the social yes. meds. Yeah, we we'll shout our uh, shout our handles out at some point, but uh, for now, Nerd Bomber, what do you have for us today? All right, so last week we talked about Love is Blind, and I went down the really crappy, <laughs> brain-numbing reality TV show hole, and I started watching The Circle, and I'm about okay, halfway tell me, through it. I'm, a, I'm about to do it, so this is perfect, actually. So it's, it's very different from Love is Blind, because the, the whole premise behind the show is that they have eight people who they stick in hotel rooms, and they can't see each other in real life. The only way they can communicate is through like a Facebook-y type social media 
thing that they have on their screen. It's they they're always watching. They're always under camera, and they can post pre-approved photos. They can update statuses. They can private chat. It's all like a voice-activated social media website. But the kicker is that the other players can't see them. So. There are a handful of players that are catfishing and they're pretending to be someone that they're not and the other players just have no idea. So it's all about just trying to build your image on social media and persuade players to like you because then at the end of the show, the player who is the most well-liked will win $100,000. And so it's a very interesting premise. It's kind of in the same vein as Love is Blind is that like they're trying to basically show that face-to-face interaction is completely basically different and you get different impressions based on how you present yourself through just verbally talking to each other and what you allow the other person to see without getting that like facial recognition and interaction there are characters yeah it really is i don't know if i could be on this show because the characters are literally stuck in an apartment and granted they're like nice apartments but you're stuck in an apartment for the entire duration of the show and that would drive me absolutely bananas they have no interaction with the outside world the entire time that they're in this apartment so like they can't watch tv you see the characters they're like reading books and stuff they don't have their phones there's basically nothing except interacting on the social media website and just like derping around your apartment, so that would kill me a little now, how bit. How long are they? How how long are they in the, the thing? Like uh, I think I think it's like a couple weeks. I think it's like two weeks because very quickly people are leaving and they're only on day like four. Yeah, the interesting thing. My major Sorry. takeaway from this is that like there are characters that I didn't think I would like when you're introduced to them, but like the more that you see them. They don't try to be anybody else. They're just genuinely being themselves, and those end up being my favorite characters. And just to wrap to to bring in my point, I generally throw out all reality shows because I think they're all garbage. I was actually interested in this one because this is kind of like a psychological experiment of today's relevance of social media. So hey, I found Love this- is Blind is the same way, buddy. No, I, I mean, it, I, Love is Blind is garbage. <laughs> I, I absolutely plan on watching this show without a doubt. You said you're halfway through. Yeah, about halfway through. Like I said, my IQ, I can still feel it dropping a little bit. I'm not a big reality oh, TV yeah. show person, but it is, it's a very interesting from the perspective of like seeing the influence of social media on people's lives. And I think when it's like put under a microscope, like in this show, it is really interesting because you do start to realize that if you didn't already know this on social media, you're only seeing the positive things that people want to put out there. You don't know really what their entire life is unless they really are a hundred percent trying to be genuine, which is more often than not, not it's not the case. See for us, you know, people might be wondering now listening. They're like, what are these people like when they're not in front of the microphone? We're always, even we're not recording. We're just sitting in front of microphones waiting to record. There's nothing else to us. (laughs) That's important that you all know that. Uh, Tactic, anything to add uh, on your end? So I have unfortunately been kind of hooked on this show, but but also a different show that I've been interested in, one that's a little bit more mentally stimulating. Um, it's on Apple TV. Whoop, whoop. I'm is, starting to like Apple TV yeah, Plus have, the more that we're getting into this. They have quite the, the M. Night Shyamalan one? Not yet. That will be next. Just, just calm down. Um, all right. <laughs> it's a show called For All Mankind. And it's basically an alternate reality where instead of the USA being the first to land on the moon, 
uh, Russia was the first to land on moon. And it's kind of this, this race to, okay, well, they beat us there, but what, what can we do next? How can, how can we, we stay in this game? And it's, it's in that same time frame, and it's super interesting. And they're actually going into like a lot of the the physics background behind uh, you know exit velocities and things like that. And and um, it's as as an engineer, it it keeps me kind of hooked. And also, I don't know how it ends because it's this also this it's this alternate reality. Huh. Well, there you have it. Uh, we're all watching TV, and it seems like hey, we're all having a good time. Yep. Oh, so. How about to non-engineers? What would you say as far as this show is concerned? I mean, is it it's, got you, enough you, fantasy or is it... You don't need to know the material to enjoy the material. Yeah, so after, like, I'm also an engineer by degree, but, like, I'm kind of a little bit further away from the technical side of things, and I never really got into the aerospace type stuff. And I would say just the fact, like, this is a very period piece type show, and I think seeing the alternate reality aspect, it really digs also into the relationship between, like, the astronauts and their wives and how being in the program and having such high visibility at, in the nation at that time had kind of an impact on their lives. And also even the people in the control room, it kind of goes into the relationships behind the people as well. I would say actually the physics portion of it isn't that big of a of a part of the show. It's more just like kind of an Easter egg for people who are interested in that. Like they'll be like, oh, that actually makes physical sense. But I would say a lot of it is really just the character interactions and seeing how this alternate reality will play out. So I think you'd still enjoy it if you like space. Okay. There you have it. So... That brings us to what would usually be our Fantasy Movie League update for the week, but um, this week we will be skipping that uh, due to the coronavirus. So check back next week for the final, what I think that will be the final tally. That was a joke, none of us had the coronavirus. Uh, yeah, no, we're all fine. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we're all fine. We'll check back in next week for the final totals on the season, but for now, I believe Nerd Bomber has a top secret game, uh, this time with three competitors. Right, so because it was the 20-year anniversary of the PlayStation 2, I decided to make my trivia that I kept secret from all participants for a fair shake. Um, I decided to make it all based upon the PlayStation. So I have seven questions. They're all numerical-based. It'll kind of be like Price is Right style like we typically do. Um, And... We'll start with Ben. Let our guests have the first crack at the first question, and then we get we can rotate Ben, Tactic, Illegal, and then just go in a circle as to who goes first. Awesome. Okay, so the first question is, how many PlayStation 2 games were released? This is going to be so hard. <laughs> oh, my God. So we're talking individual titles, correct? Yep, and worldwide. And worldwide. Oh, so not like a total amount of, like copies we're talking about numbers of games as opposed to copies right like titles not necessarily how many copies sold gotcha let's go with uh an even five thousand all right tactic what do you think uh that seems low to me so i'm gonna go ten thousand okay wait hold 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 on a second see those numbers both seem extremely high to me i feel like i'm about to be proven wrong but i a number popped into my head immediately i'm just gonna go with it 649 all right, so the winner here is Tectic, who is surprisingly close. According to Wikipedia, as of June 30th, 2007, a total of 10,035 software titles had been released worldwide. The, that includes games released in multiple regions as separate titles. The PlayStation 2 had a long stretch where it was just dominating. So that makes Yeah, but that's... Yeah. Oh my god. 
All right. Well, clearly I'm an idiot. Let's let's continue. So that's a point for Tectic. Yep. All right. So the next question is, how much did the PlayStation 2 originally retail for in U.S. dollars when it first came out? Now, Tectic is first this time, right? Mm-hmm. $139.99. Okay. No, it's... Okay. I'm going to... I Boy, I'm deciding between two numbers. I'm going to say $249.99. Okay. Which, uh, which PlayStation are we talking about here? PlayStation 2. Two? Mm-hmm. Uh, $299.99. Yeah, that All was my right. other guess. I think it's one of us is right. So Ben actually gets this one right on the nose. Two ninety nine. $139.99. like, I bought come that on. shit. <laughs> I totally did. Yeah, I mean, come on. All right, so, okay, so I'm, I'm still scoreless, but otherwise it's tied. Yep. Okay. I'm not worried. The next question up is based on data from RetroGameBuyer.com. How much does the average used PlayStation 2 go for today in the U.S. dollars? Con- the, the, the console? Yep. It's $169.99. Nice. All right. Ben, what do you what do you think? Uh, $50. Okay, Tactic, how about you? $51. All right, so I went you, too high. you all busted. The average is actually selling for $35 right now. What? Yeah. I need to oh. go. I did buy. I'm going to go buy one. I thought they I thought they didn't depreciate that much because they were so I don't know they're so good but I guess there's also a lot of them. if you get them new in box they are very expensive but if you get them used they are typically going for thirty five and actually I thought Tactic would have a better insight to that one simply because like what was it two years ago I had a really bad hankering to play Jack X and like kingdom hearts chain of memories remix and all like all of the older style games i just wanted to play them on the original console so we drove 45 minutes because i found it on facebook marketplace for like 15 bucks i got a whole playstation see but i was i was ref going relative to like used game stores and True. they hosed me on those prices so exactly well okay so next we question busted, so it's it's yep. still one to one to zero it's anyone's game at this point and I have four questions left. Okay. So when was the PlayStation 2 officially discontinued worldwide? What date? That's that's mine, yep. right? Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, officially discontinued. Let's say um, t- sometime in 2008. So <clears throat> I'm going to say November 30th, 2008. Just random November 30th, 2008. Or, were you looking yeah, for a month, day, year, or were you just looking for year? Month, day, year. I figured that way if people somehow chose the same month and year for whatever right. reason, then the date would help to differentiate. All right. So I think that's kind of too late, but I think it's close. So I'm going to go January 2005. Let's go 21st. <laughs> So I might be overthinking this, but I think you gave the answer away in a previous question. So I'm going to say January 1st, 2007. Okay. So Ben actually gets this point. It was actually Dang. discontinued worldwide January 4th, 2013. They just stopped reporting on the numbers. Um, and they actually, Japan, they stopped producing it and discontinued it a few days earlier in December 28th, 2012. So just to take a stock of things here, Ben once again is about to win win his guest quiz didn't he didn't this happen last time i believe it happened last i time. believe so yeah um he's smarter ben, than you guys what can he you, say you know ben, ben takes a commanding <laughs> commanding one point lead uh 
so at this point there's three questions left so if i want to win i have to get all of them right yep Let's pretty much i'm ready okay so the next question up is when did sony officially stop their repair services for the console uh technicals first right yep 2000 year month day year same format year month day <sighs> october 5th 2015 i'm right okay this is very it's close to now it, it's i'm gonna say december 1st 2017 all right ben and you get to round it out with your uh, answer uh, what was tactics exa- answer again october 5th 2015 okay up to october 6th 2015 <laughs> i like your tactic smart, smart man fortunately illegal took this point i they oh actually gosh. stopped repair services september 7th 2018 yeah, so see, i had a feeling it was super close to now Honestly, that's pretty impressive. Like, they supported that console long yeah. after it was even discontinued, so. Five years. Good service, Sony. Okay. Um, all right, sweet. I'm on the board. I'm tied with Tectic. Yep, so yeah. what a, what a anybody's game still at this point with two points left. So the next question is, Sony stopped updating sales numbers in March 2012. Up until this point, how many units of the console were sold? And I believe this is illegal to this is, start. This is me. Yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking... Put me down for 88 million. All right. How about you, Ben? I think it's got to be more than that. I'm going to say 212 million. Okay. And you get to follow it up, Tactic. What do you think? 89 million. Damn you. <laughs> All right. Unfair. So Tactic actually gets this point because Ben busted, though he was the closest, it was actually 155 million units of the PlayStation 2 were sold. <sighs> okay. So now, right. unless Illegal gets the next point right, it's either Tectics or Ben's game. And I have one final question. If Illegal does get it right, I'll hunt down a, a I nice want the three-way tie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the final question, relevant to today's topic, we were just talking about Sucker Punch with Ghost of Tsushima. They also made Sly Cooper, staple franchise of the PlayStation 2. How many copies of Sly Cooper games, and I'm talking the entire franchise, have stopped being or have been sold until reporting on them stopped in July 2006? So I'm talking combined sales of the entire Sly Cooper series. I'm so this, glad I go last. This is me. No, it's it's Ben first. Boy, I I love that series too. Would it be uh, how many games were in the? Are we talking one, two, and three? Are those are those all within the 2006? Yep. Or, okay, boy, I'm going to say 2 million copies. All right, Tactic, you're up. Okay, so strategy suggests that I either want to win or cause a tie to prolong the win. So what did Ben just say? 2 million? Yep. 2 million and 1 copies. Okay, and Nerd Bomber, start hunting for a question. Because I decided before this that no matter what, I was going to do... Tactics answer plus one because he did that to me and I'm a spiteful jerk. So two million and two <laughs> it's my answer. Okay, so the answer was two point two million. So you did oh cause successfully a three way tie. So give me a yes. second. Wow. I, I mean, let's give it up for Ben. He was extremely close with his guess. That was that was very we were impressive. just we were just yeah. jerks about it. Um so you so you'll have to find I was a, a, I was a jerk earlier, so you know. So you'll have to find a question and Tactic will go first for what it will essentially be all the marbles and now now ben has the advantage now ben has last because he, yeah. he could pull the same bullshittery that we did 
<laughs> we'll see whether whether or not that happens. Okay. This is exciting. We've had some exciting quizzes the past few weeks. I have two potential follow-ups. Sweet. If I need them. So, how much memory did the PlayStation 2 have of system RAM? Oh, God. Um, oh, Tactic goes first. Thank God. I'm going to go with 250. No, no. Don't do that, Tactic. 500 megabytes. Okay, Legal, what that do you think? Seems small, that it's, it seems small. It seems small. You said RAM, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. It, this is... way, no, no, no. Can I, no, no, no. It's way small. I'm messing up my units. King, King Henry drank one delicious chocolate milk. Um, Wait, so you want to say 512 <laughs> gigabytes? No, I'm going to go I'm gonna go one gigabyte of RAM. That's what I'm going with. Okay, so you st- all that and you stole my answer. Fair enough. Um, well, I mean, I have to say two gigabytes now. I don't think that's right, but I know it's in the gigabytes, so... Yeah, this leaves you in an talking, interesting spot, Ben. Yeah, we're we're talking. Yeah, I, I I don't agree. I think it is lower than gigabytes if we're talking about the PlayStation Two. So I am gonna go. Well, I can go anything, right? So I'm gonna go with two fifty six megabytes. Yeah, I'm gonna go with two fifty six megabytes. Oh no, you all busted on me. Um, so it, it was lower. Had, it had thirty two megabytes of memory. What? Yeah. Crazy. Ugh. Okay, well, but you also you have a phrasing. Backup. Seriously, phrasing. Okay, yes. So I do have a backup. <laughs> this one is not numbers based. So this might also, uh, but I have a follow up if it, you guys don't get this one. What was okay. the best selling game on the PlayStation 2? And so the follow up would be how many were sold if you guys can't nail it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to say right now, I have no idea. Okay. Let me just before I say anything. I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say uh, Ratchet and Clank, and I'm going to guess that it sold 1.8 million copies. Okay, Ben, what do you think? And if neither, if none of you get the Ugh. the um the title, then I'll just go based on the number you provide. Closest number, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say Devil May Cry two. Um, and I'm gonna say. 1.5 million. Okay, you guys are all wrong. It's obviously Spyro, and it was oh, 1.6 million. Dang it, I think you're right. Okay, so you guys were all wrong. It was oh. actually the best-selling game on every console of all time, Grand Theft Auto, with the San Andreas oh. entry, and it sold 17.33 million copies of the game. So... I won, right? Illegal was the dark horse winner yes. here, and he somehow yes. snuck up behind you all. Wait, what was? How many copies did he say? One point eight million. 8. You guys all said lower, so I wasn't even close. But look, guys, I don't make the rules. This is one of the most unsatisfying wins I've ever experienced, but I stand by it, just as long as Tactic didn't win. So that was something. We want to, of course, thank our fantastic guest Ben for joining us uh, for for his, all of his production help. And just for being a, a fantastic guest overall, Ben, we hope you had a great time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you guys so much for letting me, uh, let me sit in on your show. I really, I really appreciate this. Every, every three months, I really look forward to this. So thank you guys so much. Yeah, we pleasure love having is, you on. Yeah, the pleasure is all ours. Um, now, before we go, uh, as I often mention, we are on the social meds. So I am at OWLegal86. We have at OWTactic and at OWNerdBomber all on Twitter. Ben, do you want to plug a handle? You don't have to. Uh, I don't know it off the top. Sure. I'm at 33 Benjamin, like Benjamin, except 33 Benjamin. 
there you have it. So go check out Ben. Go check us out. Um, and if you like what you're listening to, leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts as well. And start up a conversation about fidelity because if you like it, hate it. High fidelity. It's <laughs> you know. Was the fidelity high or low? Uh, at, moderately, at, at moderately fidel. Yeah. The, the. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's a great note to end on. Uh, so we'll talk at y'all next week. Uh, thanks again for listening. See you later. Thanks. Yeah.